John chapter 4 tonight is where we're going to be. John chapter number 4. Uh, this is a very, especially the first half of this chapter or so is very familiar, and, and there are some verses that are often um, brought out of this particular uh, text, and, and uh, we're going to look at some things that probably are familiar to us, but I think will be helpful certainly as we are here in this, our Missions Emphasis Month, and John chapter 4, just for sake of context, is that place where Jesus is, is leaving, he left Judea, he's going to Galilee, and rather than taking the traditional route that the Jews took uh, to Galilee from Judea, he went straight through the heart of Samaria. Uh, uh, this is something that most would not do because they didn't want to associate themselves with the Samaritan people. And there he sits down on Jacob's well and uh, he begins to interact with a woman who comes to the well in the middle of the day, that woman of Samaria who is a sinner and uh, is more than likely ashamed uh, of her lifestyle, and that would be an indication of maybe a, one of the reasons that she may have been coming to the well in the middle of the day. And Jesus begins to talk to her about it the living water and her need not only for physical water and physical her physical needs, but her spiritual need, her need for uh, eternal life. And so as he talks with her about this and he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. And she left and went to the city, you remember the story, and told the men about Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And they missed out on the whole interaction. But I want to just pick this up in verse 27 of John 4. You can remain seated tonight. It says here, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Just stop there for a moment. I've pondered on that statement before, you would think if the disciples were really interested in why Jesus was talking to this woman, that they would have just said, hey, Jesus, why are you talking to this Samaritan woman? That's certainly not in line with our customs and traditions. But they didn't ask, maybe because they were afraid they wouldn't like the answer. I don't know. But they didn't ask the question. But it says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the man, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. We're going to stop our reading there. It's a very powerful and really fascinating chapter uh, in the Bible as we see those interactions. And Jesus, of course, throughout his ministry, broke from the norms, didn't he? Uh, in his teachings, he kind of went against the grain of, of what was the accepted uh, teaching or, or idea or philosophy of the day. And even in his interactions with people, the, the fact that he would be willing to sit uh, with publicans and sinners and eat with them, uh, that he would uh, reach out to those who were uh, downhearted and and, 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 and hurting, uh, blind and lame and deaf and all of those things that he would reach out to them and help them. Uh, it just tells us some things about Jesus. Uh, particularly, and this is really what I want to emphasize tonight, is that Jesus cares about people. Jesus cares about people. And what you really have, even in this particular passage of Scripture is an indication that the, the disciples were a little bit dense when it came to understanding how, what, what Christ's desire really was for them and for their ministry. Uh, they were going about making and baptizing disciples. It tells us at the beginning of the chapter. They had gone out. They were preaching the gospel uh, people were being saved, they were baptizing them, and they thought, we are doing the work of God. And yet they didn't understand that through all of this, Jesus was reaching out to people and showing his love and his compassion. And I'll be honest with you, I think that sometimes we can get very focused on the task at hand in regard to the work that we have been given to do and proclaiming the gospel and trying to reach people, but fail to recognize that every soul in need of Christ is a soul for which he died and a soul that he loves, and he has compassion on people. I want you to hold your place here in John chapter 4, and go with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and uh, we'll just look at one verse here. Mark 6 and verse number 34. Here Jesus and the disciples have been so busy about ministry that uh, they hadn't even had time to stop and get a meal. They hadn't had time to eat. And they were just about to take a break. <laughs> and once again multitudes came following Jesus. And verse 34 it says, And Jesus when he came out saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. One of the things that I see in this, that, that this particular verse that is so encouraging to me is that Jesus, when he saw the need of the people beyond what he could just see on the outside, he obviously knew what was going on inside and when he saw them, he recognized them in their place of need, and the Bible says that he was moved with compassion. How is it that the omniscient, all-knowing God could be 
moved in his heart that he could be stirred. It's not like he gained some knowledge that he hadn't had before. But it's, it's, it's as though his, his eyes affected his heart and he was touched as he considered the need of the people. And then what I love about this, it changed his agenda. He was about to rest, take a break and get something to eat. But he allowed his schedule to be interrupted so that the needs of people could be met. Do you see that we have a compassionate Savior that loves people, that cares about souls? I want you to go back even further to the Old Testament, and I want you to turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah's there in the minor prophets, kind of the latter part of the Old Testament there, just a short little book. And really about uh, two weeks ago, I had intended on preaching on this, this particular text of Scripture, but the Lord just didn't uh, allow it, I guess. Uh, but as I was preparing this message for this evening, this, uh, these verses came to my mind again. If you're familiar with this, the story of Jonah, of course, most of us know the first part of the book where God called him to go to Nineveh and preach to them, and he didn't. He tried to run away, and so the Lord uh, sent that storm on the sea. He was ultimately cast into the water and swallowed up by a great fish. The New Testament calls it a whale. He was swallowed up and in the belly of that whale for three days and three nights. And in the belly of that whale, he had a revival meeting, and uh, the Lord got a hold of him, and and he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord gave him a second chance. He gave him mercy. And that whale, that great fish, released him, vomited him up. He ended up on the shore, and he ran to the city of Nineveh and began to proclaim the message to them from God that they were going to be overthrown because of their wickedness. The people then did what? They repented. There was a great outbreaking and outpouring of the Spirit of God and, and, and revival, I guess we could call it, people were being saved. But Jonah wasn't happy about that, was he? Why was he not happy about that? Well, we don't necessarily know, but we kind of surmise that because these Ninevites were Assyrians that were enemies of Israel, he did not want God to have mercy upon them. So he then sits and watches what's going to happen to these people of Nineveh. And the Lord graciously prepares a gourd for him. Some kind of a plant that grows up and provides shade for him. Until a worm comes and eats that, that particular plant and it dies, it withers and dies. And then Jonah's angry. And that's really where we pick it up here in verse number 9. Of Jonah 4, it says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Isn't that an incredible statement? Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh? 
that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. And that's the end of the book. What is, what is the Lord saying to, to Jonah? You're interested in physical earthly things to the point where you, you get all upset and worked up when something earthly that is bound to wither and fade anyway, when it dies, you get upset about that. But if you have pity on that gourd, what makes you think I shouldn't have pity and compassion for the people of the city of Nineveh? Now think about this. These Assyrians were enemies of God's people. They were enemies, enemies of God. And yet he says to, to Jonah, I have pity on them. I have compassion for them. And specifically for the innocent among them. Six, six score thousand, 120,000 people that can't discern between the right hand and the left. He's not just talking about adults that never learned their directions. Right? He's talking probably about children, people in a state of innocence. And he says, I look at that and I have pity. I have compassion. Folks, I just want you to know our God is a God of compassion. And a lot of people want to paint God, especially the, quote, the God of the Old Testament, as though he was some vindictive God that just kind of changed his mind when it came to the New Testament. I want you to know God from Genesis 1 all the way forward is a God of compassion, a God of mercy, and a God of love. A God whose heart is touched by the down and out, by the brokenhearted. And we have a Savior who cares about people. He cared enough that he was willing to sacrifice his earthly reputation to associate himself with people that were undesirable, so that he could reach them and give them hope. He is a God of compassion. But as we go back to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, I want to show you that not only is Christ full of compassion, but that he desires for you and for me to have compassion as well. I want you to look at verse 35, and it says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. What is he saying? I want you to look. I want you to see what I see. I want you to see people through the lens that I see them but it's going to require that you lift up your eyes and look. Can we all agree that we're guilty at times of not having compassion for people? That it's easy for us to look at that outward appearance that we see and maybe even find ourselves frustrated and irritated rather than moved and compassionate. And I believe that the Lord would have us tonight to seek to see as He sees.
we're in this missions month. And the whole point of focusing on missions is really to draw our attention to the need, the call, the responsibility that we have been given. But friend, we're never going to actually accomplish what God wants us to do until we start seeing things the way God sees them. Until we start recognizing that those who walk among us and around us and interact with us, that they're not just a person that has a body that lives a life here. They are a living, eternal soul that will spend eternity in heaven or hell. God wants us to see that, and He wants us to be moved by that. I know we're turning a bit tonight, but I want you to go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 9. Matthew 9 this is kind of a parallel passage to where we looked in Mark 6 a, a moment ago. But in Matthew 9, and at the end of the chapter, verse 37 says, Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know what he's saying? I want you to see what I see, that there is a need. And then I want you to get busy and active seeking a solution to that need. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Now, I'll admit to you that there was a time that I would read that verse thinking, okay, my responsibility is to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, would you please send people to meet that need? I don't believe that's what Jesus is really saying there. Uh, Lord, there's a world that's lost and dying and on their way to hell. Would you send someone to them? I have a pastor friend who has this habit of um, when there's a, a need in the church, you, you know, something maybe simple or physical. Someone, someone says, you know, I, I noticed that that uh, room over there really needs to be organized. Or, uh, you know, this section of the building needs to be cleaned. Or, boy, that grass needs to be cut. And this pastor will look at that person and say, boy, you're right. And I just found the perfect person to do that. Because if you see the need... What do you need to do? You need to respond to the need, right? That's something I'm trying to teach my kids. If, if you see the need, if you see something that needs attention, then take care of it because God might be bringing that to your attention so that you can meet the need. And so it would be foolish for us to think that Jesus is saying, hey guys, look out at those fields and see the people like I see them. Lost sheep, they have no shepherd, have compassion toward them, and pray and hope and wish that someone else will go and reach them. That's not what he's saying. The concept is, as you are busy in the harvest, as you are about the work of the Lord, as you are doing what I have called you to do, be actively seeking others who will come and help. Folks, I want to encourage all of us tonight 
to seek to have the same heart for people that Jesus has. To truly ask the Lord to give us His eyes. To see the fields, not just people, but a harvest field that is ready to be harvested. The harvest truly is plenteous. There's plenty of work to be done. But the laborers are few, because few see it like Jesus does. So, Jesus is a God of compassion. And He calls us to be people of mercy and compassion like He is. But then, back to John chapter 4, I want to show you one more thing in this particular passage of Scripture. And that is that if we are going to fulfill God's will in our lives, we have to look beyond the temporal and begin seeing the eternal. Verse 8 of this chapter, we didn't read it, I mentioned it, but it's, it simply says this, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Jesus had gone to Samaria with a very clear intention. He was going to meet with a woman who needed Christ. The disciples, as they were there, thought, you know, I'm getting pretty hungry. We don't have any food, so we need to go get some. And that's a legitimate need, isn't it? Uh, I ate today. I'm assuming most of you did as well. And that's just a, a, a common need. We take care of our physical needs. Tomorrow morning, most of you are going to get up in the morning and go off to work and work a job in order to earn an income so that you can supply food and shelter and all the things that you need. And there's nothing wrong with taking care of physical needs. But when we come to the latter part of the disciples, or, or to the chapter, the disciples say in verse 31, in the meanwhile his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. I have food that you're not aware of. And they didn't understand what he said, because look, look what their response is. Therefore the disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Well, who, who gave him food? I mean, after all, we went and bought him food, and somebody already fed him. I remember one time when I was fairly newly married, and I forget all the details of it, but sometime after uh, I had gotten off of work and was kind of hun hungry and I think my wife was supposed to work a little bit longer than, than I did that day. And, uh, and so I ran through a drive-thru. I got some food and took care of my, my need and went home. And lo and behold, she was there and had gotten home early and cooked a big meal for me. And I don't remember all of the details, but I remember some frustration on her part. Because, hey, what, you know, I, I went to the work of making you a meal. You know, we're... You already ate? You know, there was frustration there. I think that's what the disciples are saying. We, we went all the way into the city to get food, and now Jesus already ate. Well, that was a waste of time, right? What does he say? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Guys, I'm not so concerned about my physical need in this moment. 
Because there is a bigger issue at play. The will of the Father. We get very focused on the things of this world. The temporal needs, legitimate needs. But sometimes forget that we are here for a higher purpose. We have a higher calling. We are to live not for temporal things, but for eternal things. And it's going to require us to begin looking at things differently. If we are going to fulfill what the Lord has given us to do, we have to desire that in a greater way than even the things of this world. And that was what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 6, where he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said, all these things will be added unto you. Don't, don't seek first your physical needs. Sadly, I think a lot of people, when they see the need in the world, wow, billions and billions of people who've never heard I were to go to them, how would my needs be met? And what about my responsibilities and my family and where would I live and how am I going to make money and what about my life and my career and whatever the case might be. And folks, I just want you to know there's a higher calling that we live for. And if we will seek Him first and follow His will above all else, He's promised to provide our needs. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have meat to eat that you know not of. I was pondering on the concept that Moses really spent 80 days, as far as we can tell, two different sets of 40 days back to back in the mountain with the Lord, no food or drink. How is that possible? Physically it's not, but God sustained him. God gave him what he needed. Why? Because when we put the Lord first, he can take care of our needs. Now I'm not saying to you, don't eat or drink for 40 days and you know, you'll be fine. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is if we will put the Lord first, he'll meet our needs. And so in this, our missions month, as we're considering these things, I want to just remind you that the God that we serve is a God of compassion. He loves people. He has a heart for people. And he calls us also to have a heart for people. But if we're going to do that, we've got to start seeing things the way he sees them and be focused on eternal things rather than temporal. And so I hope that you'll keep that in mind uh, as, uh, as we go forward. And I trust that uh, in the, the weeks ahead, throughout the remainder of our missions month, that we'll have that heart and that perspective. Lord, help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to live for the things that you live for and to be concerned about the things you're concerned about, not consumed with the things of this world. All right?